Thanks, Jackie, for that. And to Grant and the team as they've led us through our time together this morning. It's been wonderful to sing those, uh, those great songs of uh, worship and praise. Hey? Let's pray as we come around God's word now. Father, we want to thank you uh, for this time together this morning. Lord, we recognise again that, uh, that as we open up your word, we're opening up the very word of God, your words to us. And we pray that you would uh, open up our hearts and our ears to hear what you would have to say to us today. Lord, help us to, um, to know that you have given your word in order to help us know who you are. But Lord, for our good, and we thank you for it and the gift that it is to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we continue on in our series, this uh, Choose Life series, which we've uh, uh, been going through in, uh, in Deuteronomy. And uh, this morning I um, want to uh, focus on this particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse, uh, verses 1 through to 14. One of the, uh, some of you will uh, be old enough to remember that on the uh, 18th of January 1977, a, um, a commuter train travelling from uh, the Blue Mountains in Sydney through to, uh, to Sydney itself derailed, hitting the supports of an overhead rail bridge and causing that, uh, that bridge, uh, all 600 tonnes of it, to come down on the middle carriages of that, uh, of that train at uh, just near the Granville Railway Station in Western Sydney. It's considered to be the worst uh, rail incident or the rail accident in Australia's history where 83 people died and 210 people were injured. Incredible uh, tragedy in the life of, uh, of our nation. You know, trains aren't meant to derail, are they? They're not meant to derail. In fact, havoc ensues when trains come off their tracks. Those railway tracks, they're meant to, uh, to really uh, keep the, uh, the train moving. They're to operate as guides to keep the train uh, you know, moving and, and uh, in the direction that it's meant to go and to help provide a, a safe and productive transport system for people to be able to, uh, to use. Interesting when we think about that, that uh, analogy of the, uh, the railway lines because in a similar way the word of God is meant to provide for us a kind of uh, a, a, a guidance and a wisdom for us to help us know and experience the fullness of, uh, and the richness, if you like, and the purpose of what God has called us to, of what God has, has how God has designed us to be as His uh, as His creatures. And when we follow the Word of God, we can be confident that it will, it will indeed be for our good. And when we choose to ignore it, or we choose to observe only those things in the Word of God that uh, that may sort of deem perhaps important or, or worth doing, providing that it doesn't sort of really impact too much on our own happiness then trouble is generally not too far away. As I said, the verses we're looking at today is Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 to 14, and these are Moses' final words to the people of God before they enter into the promised land of Canaan, or what we know today as modern-day Israel. And Moses is giving these last words because he is not going to be going into the promised land with the people of God. In fact, Joshua will be taking over the leadership from him. And on the map here behind me, you can see sort of the, uh, the route that the Israelites have sort of taken over the, uh, the time since they'd left Egypt. They had come over here to, uh, from Egypt, which is over here, to uh, Kadesh Barnea, where they first uh, encountered the, uh, the, the borders of the promised land. The, uh, they sent in spies who went up here to, uh, to Hebron to spy out the land. And, of course, they then came back here to Kadesh, gave their report and said to the people that uh, the land was indeed what God had promised it would be, but that there were giants in the land and there were fortified cities and it would be too hard for them to, uh, to possess the land. And so they rebelled against God. 
And, uh, and so God had uh, brought his judgment upon them and said, well, uh, if you're going to rebel against me, then you'll go out into the wilderness until this generation dies out. And so then the people took matters into their own hands and said, oh, OK, then we better go in and fight. And they went up here to Arad and they had a big battle up here, but they were, uh, they were soundly beaten at that, uh, at that place. And they headed back then down here into the, uh, I'm sort of standing in the way there, in the, uh, the wilderness area down here. And for about 40 years, and then they finally headed back up to the, uh, the eastern side of the Jordan River, up here to the plains of Moab. And this uh, pure place here is what we uh, read about in our passage today. Moses' words to the people of, of, uh, of God are essentially God's words to his people. God is speaking through Moses. And God's concern is that, uh, that, that, that his people fulfill his purposes for them. Purposes that will bring God glory. Purposes that will result in his people being blessed. The purposes that will result in others themselves being blessed. But all of this will hinge upon how well God's people obey his word. So we're going to look this morning at three things that we can learn in this passage about the importance of God's word to us today. Um, I've um, done some notes up just as a, uh, I guess, a kind of a see if whether or not it's going to be helpful for people today. I don't normally do up notes, but I've done them up today for this particular passage. If you haven't got some, there's some out in the foyer, and uh, you can uh, sort of follow on through the uh, through the powerpoints. The words that I've got underlined, by the way, are the words that uh, are the missing words in the notes. All right, just to sort of help you. Uh, Keep you on track. So the first thing we need to understand about the word of God is this, that the word itself imparts life. We see that in verses 1 through to 4. And it says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Moses' commands to the people are to listen, to listen to the law of God to listen to the word of God and not only to listen but to put it into practice in their lives, to do what God says in order that they may live. That phrase that, that, that says that you may live actually occurs a number of times in this book of Deuteronomy. We see it in uh, chapter 5 and verse 33, chapter 8 and verse 1. Chapter 11 and verse 9, chapter 16 and verse 20 and a number of others. And you can uh, sort of look those up for yourself at a little bit later point in time. But it is always associated with the teaching of God's word and obeying God's word. That word, this, this phrase always is, ta- is, is, is connected with this hearing and obeying God's word. And when they enter into the promised land, Moses says that, that if the people obey God's word, then it will go well with them. It will go well with them in the land and they will enjoy the fullness of the blessing that God intended for them in the land as they seek to obey him and honor him. That's what it means that you may live. It's this experiencing this fullness of their blessing of this relationship with God, the richness, the depth, the uh, the meaning and the purpose in that. That's what true life really is all about. That's how God has designed us to be to, as, his, as his creation, to live in that relationship with him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, Moses, you know, at the end of this, uh, of this book says to the people, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you in the word of God life and death 
blessing and curse. Moses says, I've laid it all out for you, and so choose life. Hence the title of our series in this book in Deuteronomy. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. See, this was the covenant. This was the agreement that God had had entered into with his people back in Mount Sinai. And which God is reminding the, this, this new generation of just before they enter into the promised land to take possession of it. God had promised to be their God. He would be their God and they would be his people. And it would go well with them provided that they obeyed God. And to illustrate his point, God through Moses reminds the people of an incident that, uh, that occurred at a place called Baal Peor. On, uh, in Moab, and we see that in verses 3 and 4, where it says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Now, you can read about this particular uh, incident in Numbers 25, and the lead-up from is, it to, is, uh, is from Numbers 22. Basically, what had happened is that the people of God had uh, had come to uh, this uh, this region of the plains of Moab on the eastern shores of the Jordan River, and the uh, the king of Moab, this man called Balak, had uh, had had realised that his people were afraid, and, and he was basically in danger of losing his his kingdom to this people, and so he sends word to this um, this kind of soothsayer, if you like, um, called Balaam, who lives in uh, in Mesopotamia, and and, and Balaam comes across, and uh, and Balak. Says, says, I want you to pronounce a curse on these people. And, and, Balaam, and Balaam basically says, well, I can only do that if God allows me to do that. And so uh, what happens is that, uh, that uh, they, they uh, consult God and God says to Balaam very, very clearly, you are not to, to curse these people. For in fact, these are my people and you, you are to bless them instead. And so you know, three times Balak asks Balaam to curse the people and three times instead he blesses the people. But what we find out later on is if you go through and you read in uh, Numbers 31 and also in Revelation 2 is that, uh, that Balaam, uh, he was going to miss out on this, on getting his reward from Balak because he couldn't curse the people of God. And so he, he figures out another way to still claim his, still get his money, if you like, for his, uh, for his services. And, uh, and, uh, and Balak gets what he wants by seeing the people of God actually undermined. And he says to, uh, to Balak, do you know what the best thing to do is to send in your women and, uh, and, and into the, uh, into the, uh, into the people of Israel that they might actually take, you know, sort of, um, uh, lead the men astray and lead them in the worship of this Baal, this God, this deity who was this particular deity for this region of, of Peor. And that's exactly what happened. These, the, the women came in, these temporal prostitutes, and they, the men, uh, you know, united with them, and there was this, this horrendous immorality and, and idolatry that took place there. And God sent his judgment into the people of God, and he, uh, he sent a plague in, and 24,000 people died. 24,000 people died because they had rebelled against God, because they had chosen to follow another God, and they had chosen to reject the word of God. And so they would not experience life, but instead experience death. God says, when you follow in my way, God says that you will know life. 
when you follow my word. And the reason why God's word imparts life is because God himself is life. Genesis 2, 7 says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Life comes from God. When he created the first man there in the garden, we read that he formed the man out of the dust, he breathed into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. Not just a, a bunch of, of chemicals and things that were just brought together, but, but had a soul, was able to have a relationship, a close relationship with God. He became this living being. In Job chapter 33 and verse 4, it says that the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The word of God imparts life because God himself, the source of his word, he himself is life. And life can only be found in him and through him. Not only does God's work, not only does it impart life because God is life, but it also imparts life because it points us to the essence of life, that is Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we were told that Jesus is the one who gives life. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, those wonderful opening verses of the Gospel of John, which speaks about the divine Logos, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, before he came into this world. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created by him and through him. And in John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And as Jesus came into the world and he conducted his, his public ministry, there are a number of instances where he, he claimed to be the one who himself was the source of life. In John eleven twenty five, he says to, um, to Martha, the, the sister of Lazarus, who has died, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. To his disciples in John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the apostle Paul writes, For the wages of sin, that rebellion against God, that denial of him, that denial of his word, that denial of, of, of the fact that we are the ones who are to submit in God, into God's authority and God's plans. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again in 1 John 5.12 it says, Whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The word of God points us to the essence of life in Jesus Christ. This whole word of God is all about Jesus. The Old Testament you know, pre, is, is a precursor to Jesus. It points forward to Jesus and the New Testament is all about him and about his, his, uh, his ministry, his earthly ministry here on earth, his death and resurrection on the cross, his ascension into glory and of his coming again, the, the day in, uh, in a future point in history where Jesus will come again to judge all of mankind, both the living and the dead. Well, not only is it, uh, is it the word of life because it, is, because it comes from God, because it points us to Jesus, but it also reveals to us how to live a fulfilled life. And we see that in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 and 22, where the, uh, the writer of Proverbs says this, My son, 
Be attentive to my words. The word of God is saying, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Isn't those wonderful words? They are life to those who find them and healing to their flesh. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, again, speaking about the word of God, the one who looks into it and perseveres being no, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is great blessing that comes from, from hearing and obeying the word of God. We see this highlighted in our passage in verse 6 where it says, Keep them and do them, speaking of the commands and the statutes of God, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the people, for the nations around about them. Now, this is uh, probably the most, uh, one of the most wonderful passages of the, uh, the, 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 the way in which Scripture brings life and, uh, and wisdom and understanding and, and goodness to us is found in, in Psalm chapter 19 and uh, verses 7 to 11. Let me just read it to you quickly. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Doesn't that just sing of the the wonderful blessing that the word of God is to those who hear it and obey it? The life, the kind of life that is able to be ours lived under the, uh, the commands and the statutes of our God who loves us, who cares for us and who desires our good. Isn't that, isn't it wonderful to know that God would love us that much to give us his word in the, particularly in the form we have it today? Isn't it incredible? Well, the word of God imparts life. The word of God also is meant to be put into practice in our day-to-day lives. We see that in verses 5 through to 8 of our passage this morning. I'm probably sure at one time or another that you've all been told that our faith is not just a Sunday thing, but it is a 24-7 way of life. To be lived out 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You know, for the Israelites, the people of God here in the Old Testament, they were meant to be characterized by what the Bible referred to as holiness. That is, they were to be set apart for God and his purposes. We see that in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6, where God says, just before giving the Ten Commandments through Moses, says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
The fact that the, that the, the people of Israel had been given the word of God set them apart from all other nations in their day. There was no other people who had the word of God. That in itself set them apart. As well as the fact that they had been brought into this wonderful covenant relationship with the living God. Folks, God intends for us to live holy lives, lives that are characterized by obedience to him and his word. And the people of Israel, as they as they lived out these holy lives, as they lived out these lives under the direction of God and his word, they were meant to be witnesses to the surrounding nations of God's goodness. Here in, uh, let me read to you, it says in verse 7, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? God says that in response to that the people would see the nation of Israel and they would say, they would proclaim, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. That, was, that would be a response from the people around about them as they saw the nation of Israel living out their lives under the authority of the word of God, underneath the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the wonderful direction and the, the provision and the, the, uh, the, the, the majesty and the glory of God. The people around them would say, wow, you know what? There is something so special about this people that their God is so close to them that he's given them all of these wonderful statutes and, and rules which give wisdom and understanding Standing, there is no other nation like them. There is no other God like their God. They were meant to stand out. They were meant to be different. But to be different in a good way. And it's the same for us as the people of God today. That we are meant to demonstrate to the world a lifestyle that is admirable, that is attractive, that is wholesome and good. And in so doing, point people to the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life. You know, the reason why God didn't, uh, didn't want his people to be corrupted by the evil practices of idolatry and immorality like what happened there at Peor is because, you know, when we live these, uh, these unholy lives, it becomes an insult to God's holiness. We insult God's holiness when we live unholy lives. We insult his majesty and his glory. We, we rebel against his authority. Not only that, folks, it is destructive for us as his people when we live these unholy lives, when we live lives in opposition to the word of God and to what God has called us to live. It is destructive to us and most importantly, it basically becomes a damage to God's witness in the world. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that time and time and time again, how when the people of God who claim to be the people of God, who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, live unholy lives, how much that calls into a question in people's minds the character of God, the nature of God, and the, and the worthiness of his church. And that's so sad. It's heartbreaking when we see that happen in our world today, when people who claim to hold up the name of God live unholy lives and bring the name of God into disrepute. God, that must, that must just grieve God's heart so much. 
The Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 says this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to instead present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on to say, therefore do not be conformed to this world. Do not let the world push you into its own mould. Do not become like the world and allow the world to become the sole influence, the main influence in your lives, but instead be transformed by the word of God, by the renewal of the word of God in our minds and in our hearts, by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. Like say, our lives are meant to be a, uh, a stark contrast in our world today. Our faith is designed to be countercultural. Countercultural. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five to seven is the Sermon on the Mount, and that is basically Jesus's um, um, manifesto, if you like, of what the how we as Christians are meant to behave in our world today. How we are meant to be so different to our world. As I said, our faith is designed to be countercultural. The least will be the greatest. It is more blessed to give than to receive, to think of others more highly than ourselves, to lay down our lives in order that we might live, to love our enemies and to pray for them, to store up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth. Can you see how countercultural those things are to the world today? How the world would, would go completely the opposite way, but we are to be entirely different Our lives are meant to be those lights that shine in the darkness and the evil of this world. Philippians 2, 14 to 16 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labour in vain. We are, to be, we are to shine as lights, as stars in the world. You know, you look at, uh, out, of the, out of the night sky and you see how brilliantly the stars shine in the night sky, particularly if you're well away from the, uh, you know, from the city lights and that sort of thing. As the stars shine out there in that darkness, that is how, we are, how our lives are meant to shine in this dark and evil world today around about us. As we hold fast to the word of life. First Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Of course, one of the great passages that speaks about the marks of a Christian is Romans 12, 9 to 21. And I won't go into that this morning, but I'll give you opportunity a little bit later on uh, when you get to the chance to, uh, to read through that and see what it says should be the marks of a Christian as we live out our lives in our world today. The third point I want to quickly highlight today is that the word of God, not only, is it, not only does it impart life, not only is it meant to be lived out in our day-to-day lives, put into practice, but the word of God is to be passed from generation to generation. We see that in verses 9 to 10. Folks, the word of God is so important that it is to be taught to our children and our children's children. And there are two different ways we teach the word of God. 
Two different ways. The first is by speaking it, by telling it, by proclaiming the excellencies of God, by the word of mouth. And the second, of course, is by modelling it, by doing it in our lives. Can I say, as we speak about our children, parents, this is your responsibility. It is your responsibility as parents to teach your children, to tell them and to model it for them. You've been entrusted with your children by God. And it is therefore up to you to be their primary teachers in the things of God. In Deuteronomy 6, we see how we are to teach the word of God diligently to our children. We are to be diligent in it. We are to be, you know, we need to make sure that we put in hard work and effort in doing that. We're to do it regularly. We're to make God's word central to our daily lives, to our daily living. We're to talk about it when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we go about our day-to-day living, our day-to-day chores, when we, uh, when we lay down, when the last thing in the, 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 in the day, we're to be talking to our children about God and when we get up, it should be the first thing on our lips. You know, the ministries of the church here that we carry out for our children, like Kids Zone and youth groups and playgroups and things like that, are meant to supplement what you teach your kids. They are not meant to be a substitute for you. One of the things that Pastor Greg has, has emphasised so much in his ministry here amongst our children at this church is that as parents, you have the primary responsibility and we supplement what you teach your children. We are not the substitute for you so that you can abdicate that role of teaching your children and leave it to the church. So many times, folks, in my, in my experience through churches, I have seen parents who just try to leave it up to the church, who don't do it themselves, and then when their kids get to an age and they think, you know what, I've had enough of this and I'm out of here, they're the first ones to come to the pastor and complain, why didn't you teach my kid better? I've seen it and I've heard it and it's happened to me. Parents, you have the sole responsibility. Your attitudes towards God and the church will impact directly on your children. And if you don't consider God, if you don't treat God, the Bible, the church as a priority in your life, then can I tell you, neither will your children. Neither will your children. And can I say that there are difficult days ahead for the church and for all believers. There are very difficult days ahead And if you are not diligent in grounding your children in the firm foundations of the faith, then they more than likely will not stand in the midst of the persecution that is coming. You need to be building into them those strong foundations right now. Not only does this refer to the, the parents and children, though, it speaks also to the older generations and the younger generations in our church. That we, the older, are to teach the younger. We see that in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, and 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 7. What we're talking about here is mentoring, folks. Is the older getting alongside the younger, and the younger taking advantage of the experience of the older people in our congregation. And one of the things that, 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 that I think we are incredibly blessed with here as a church is that we have got such a diverse group of people in this church of so many different ages and that is incredible blessing to us and we need to take advantage of it. 
And younger people, you need to be seeking out some of these older folks, some of these, these folk who have walked the journey of faith for many years, who have got that experience and have, have been there and done that and, and to learn from them and, and to hear what they themselves have been through. Because let me tell you, the Bible is so true when it says there is nothing new under the sun. The stuff that you are going through today, even though it is a different generation, it is the same sort of stuff that previous generations have experienced and have had to go through and it will continue to be so as we keep moving forward. Older people, be willing to share your lives with our younger folk. Get alongside them and encourage them and share your experiences with them. And younger folk, please don't see our older folk as being, well, you know what, you've had your day, it's our turn now. Because sometimes that can be the attitude of, of younger people. That the older people wear, well, then we're just, we're just waiting for them to just, uh, you know, go home to glory. And we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have it then, you know, we'll have it then. God has placed so much riches within the lives of the people here in this church. And we need to take so much advantage of that. We really do. By the way, if you are to be a teacher, then can I say that that necessitates that you already have a knowledge to pass down? That you have a knowledge to pass down. And can I ask you today, are you being diligent in this? Are you being diligent yourself in, in being enriched and, and immersed in the word of God? Look at verse 9. Moses says, take care. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. We need to be diligent, folks. We can't just think, you know, I've been to Kid Zone, yeah, I've got some Bible knowledge, yeah, I know what the, you know, I know what the Old Testament is and New Testament is and that sort of stuff. And think, you know, I've got pretty got it much nailed down. We've got to be in it all the time. We've got to be allowing the word to, 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 transform us and to change us day by day. Can I say this morning, folks, this, this word that we have, this very living word of God, is, should never, ever be taken flippantly, should never, ever be taken for granted. There are so many people in our world today who would give their right arms for the word of God in their own language. Folks, this is the very word of God to you and to me. The word of the creator, the one who made all things, the one who is far above all things, the one who is in authority, who is working all things out for his plans and purposes, who will bring at one point in time an end to all things. And at that day, we will all need to stand before the creator and give an account for what we did with this and with the Lord Jesus Christ, whom it points to. Every single one of us. Folks, that word is authoritative. It is inspired, it is breathed out by God, we read in the scriptures. It is infallible. In other words, it teaches no error. It only teaches what is true and what is good and what is righteous. And it is inerrant. Meaning that it will not lead us down the wrong path 
and it will never, ever say or contradict itself in any way. It is life. It is life. So let's listen to what it says, but most of all, let us do what it says. Let us put it into practice in our lives day by day that it may go well with us. God has given us his spirit to help us to learn it, to know it, to understand it. Jesus has paid for our sins, so if we fail in keeping it, we don't need to get discouraged or disillusioned, but instead as we come before Jesus and confess our failure and give thanks to God for his forgiveness, we can continue to endure and persevere and God will continue to lift us up and carry us forward. What a truly great and wonderful God we have. Amen? That he would love us enough to give us his word that we might live. Let's pray. As I pray, perhaps the communion stewards would like to come and uh, to the front. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, that it is indeed the living word, that it itself is life, is life to all who would heed it, who would come to understand that it is a word that is from you, that it points to you, that it is about you, that it is, that it is meant for us to, to take into ourselves by the power of your spirit, by the help of your spirit. We thank you for Jesus Christ who himself is the word embodied in flesh. That he, as we come to a saving faith and knowledge of him, is able to impart that life to us. Life, eternal life. A life, Lord, that uh, that will be a blessing not only to us, but to those around about us. Help us to indeed treat your word as it should be treated, to accept it as it should be received, and Lord, to honour it as it should be honoured, but recognising that the word itself is your word and that you are the one who deserves all honour and glory today. Help us, Lord, as we remember that as we move forward that you will inspire us, that you will encourage us, that you will teach us, that you will help the older to teach the younger and vice versa, that the parents will teach their children, that we all will be seeking to be people who uphold each other and, and urge one another on in our, in our heeding, heeding and, and obeying your word in our lives from this day forward. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come around our communion table this morning... We think of this whole aspect of life and this, these elements remind us of the life that has been secured for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and through his resurrection. That it is only through him that we can have this life that God promises for us that God has designed us for. It is only through faith in him that we can enter into that life. And so as we come around these elements this morning, I want to encourage you to take the bread and to eat it. As you eat that bread, I want you to think of it as, as the nourishing, the nourishing of the Lord Jesus Christ in you, the nourishing that comes from him and from his word. 
And as we, as we take that cup and as we all drink the cup together this morning, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that he might call us into his family, into his community, that we might indeed live those holy lives, reflecting his glory and majesty, and be that declaration, that powerful witness to the world around about us of our glorious and marvellous Saviour. Amen? All right, let me... Uh, let me uh, Distribute.